Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Welcome to the Calvary Worship Center podcast from Colorado Springs. We post these messages each week so you can keep up to date with the pulpit teachings from our church on the front range of Colorado. Currently, we're following with our teacher, Pastor Al Pittman, in a chapter-by-chapter tour of the book of Revelation. We've looked at some true mountain peaks of prophecy today, and today is no exception. Seriously, the finality of divine wrath is our title today, and it doesn't get much more serious than that, right? So turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 15, and let's get underway with Pastor Al. Uh, Let's ask the Lord to bless this word. I've entitled this message, The Finality of Divine Wrath. Revelation chapter 15 and 16. Father, we ask in Jesus' name for your blessing upon your word. And your word, Father, will go forth with your promise. That it will not return void, but accomplish your will. And Lord, grant us ears to hear your word and hearts to receive it, that we might bear fruit. Uh, Lord, a lot of people stay away from this book, but you've promised us a blessing in it. And there's a lot of things here that we really cannot maybe comprehend or understand, but you've given us this revelation the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. And we, our hearts may anticipate, have great anticipation of things that are to come. Thank you for giving us a little preview of coming attractions. Lord, Lord, your truth, your prophecies, your word. We commit this time to you. Be glorified, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, Get your pens and... uh, Excuse me, your paper ready if you're old school, if you're new school, get your laptops or iPads ready or whatever, uh, and follow along. But um, here in chapter 15, we start in Revelation chapter 15, it's really an introduction to chapter 16. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first eight verses. We're going to look at some of the things that are mentioned here in chapter 15 quickly, and then we're going to go right, quickly right into chapter 16, uh, as you will see the importance of it as we get into the word here. But chapter 15, Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. And John writes, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven plagues, for, the, for in them the wrath uh, of God is, what? Complete. All right. Things are winding down. This is at toward the end of the second half of the seven-year tribulation period. And he said, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those uh, who have the uh, victory over the beast and the image, uh, his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on a sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God almighty, just and true are your ways, O king of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things, verse 5, he says, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the 
uh, seven angels, now the four living creatures, remember them, four living creatures before the throne of God with the 24 elders around the throne of God. And it says here that these, one of the four living creatures gave uh, to the eight, seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the, from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Amen. Heavy stuff. God's will is going to be completed. Zephaniah spoke spoke about this. Zephaniah the prophet in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 8. Basically said this is therefore wait for me says the Lord God. Until the day I rise up for plunder for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. God is getting ready to pour out the seven bowls of uh, his wrath, the fierceness of his wrath upon the earth, which will complete uh, his wrath being poured out upon the earth. The saints are seen here in verses 1 to 3. They're standing on what a sea that looks like glass. It's not glass. It looks like glass with fire. And they have overcome the beast. And uh, it's amazing. It's a picture of, of those who overcome in Christ. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And the saints during the tribulation period, those who come to Christ during the tribulation period, the Bible says they will overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Amen. And we have overcome as well through faith in Jesus Christ. They're standing on a sea that looks like glass and there's fire. And fire in scripture is often associated with God's judgment. But here they are standing up in a period of God's judgment. They're standing where the world will be fallen. And truly we are able to stand. Why? Because there's no condemnation in Christ. And so the saints are standing without condemnation. And then Jesus said, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. They are free here. They are free. We are free in Christ. Free, yes, from the penalty of sin, but free also from the wrath and the judgment of God. And they're singing a song, the Bible says, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Why the song of Moses? Well, they're probably referring to Exodus chapter 15, where there is there the song of Moses. It's a song of deliverance. But Moses was a deliverer for the children of Israel, uh, uh, the deliverance from Egypt from the bondage of Egypt and Jesus, the Lamb of God, is our deliverer from the bondage of sin. So this is a song of joy. They have harps. Remember, harps are associated with joy in Scripture. And they're singing this song of joy, a song of Moses and song of the Lamb. The temple of the tabernacle uh, here refers to, uh, there in verses 5 to 7, the temple of the tabernacle refers to the holy of holies in heaven not here on earth but in heaven and it's open and the ark of the covenant the ark of the testimony is placed on display and uh, reminds us of uh, uh, revelation chapter 11 remember in revelation chapter 11 verse 19 revelation eleven nineteen, where the ark of god was put on display again and that what does that represent the ark of the promise uh, god's promises it basically represents the fact that the promises that we have in Jesus are yes and amen in Christ. Amen. That the promises in heaven are kept for us. And the Bible says that, that, that our salvation in Christ, that, that our salvation is preserved in heaven, kept by the power 
of God. So therefore, I ask those who believe you can lose your salvation, how can you lose it if it's kept by God? Because it's not yours to lose anyway. It's God's. Amen. It's his salvation. And so God puts on display, again, the ark and uh, there in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And just to show us that the ark of the covenant, the promises we have in Christ are still intact. The angels appear and uh, they have these golden bands, the Bible says, across their chest. It sounds like, you know, they're metal bands, but it's actually could be translated golden sash. And they're clothed in linen, the scripture says, uh, linen representing the uh, uh, priesthood and the golden sash across their chest representing the priesthood. Jesus is clothed in a similar fashion uh, as our high priest. In Revelation chapter 1. Remember that? And uh, so they are dressed like priests. You say, well, why are they dressed like priests? Because the task they're going to embark on is a holy one. Holy? Point out judgment? Yes. This is a holy and divine task that they are going to partake in. The judgment of God. The temple, the Bible says in verse 8, is filled with smoke. Uh, That is significant. It's smoke manifested by the glory and the power of God. And the smoke here is representative of judgment, of judgment. And the reason I say that is Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, on Mount Sinai, when the law was given, there was smoke. And the, the mountain was on fire. It was on, it was, there was smoke when Moses was given the law. Why smoke? Because the law involves judgment. If you don't keep the law, Right? You're under, under the penalty of judgment. The law was given to us, not so much that we might keep it, but the Bible says to be a tutor, a teacher, to lead us to God, to show us here's the mark, and every man has missed the mark. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, all have been condemned. So we are hopeless, hopelessly condemned under the law, but through grace in Jesus Christ we've been saved. Amen. And we no longer live. Amen. Give him praise and glory for that. Amen. So the smoke here represents judgment. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, just another proof text about the smoke. Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, uh, was in the temple and he saw the train of the, Lord's, uh, the train of the Lord fill the temple, you know. And, and the temple was filled with smoke. And it was just before Isaiah was commissioned on a ministry of judgment. Why do I say that? Because Isaiah's ministry was a ministry of judgment against the nation of Israel. So God had a message for Isaiah to deliver to Israel, and it was one of judgment. And so smoke here, we see in our text in verse, uh, here in um, verse 8, is representative of the judgment, the just judgment of God, and the plagues by the seven angels holding the seven bowls. Some of your Bibles might say vials. They're getting ready to pour this, these seven last plagues upon the earth in uh, the plagues of God's judgment. And so in chapter 16, we go into chapter 16, start reading about these plagues. I'm going to read through uh, most of them here. They speak for themselves until we get to verse 12, and then we're going to get into the weeds a little bit. Um, but here in verse 1, chapter 16, the Bible says, John says, Then I heard a, a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men 
who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So this is, this is a, a, a plague directed on those, which is be all, just about almost everybody on the earth at this time, um, that have the mark of the beast. And not only that, but they're worshipping the beast as well. And so this, these nasty sores will come upon their body. And then the second bowl is poured out here, and it's a, a bowl concerning blood, where the sea turns into blood. It says, then the angel, the second angel, poured out his bowl on, on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And it's one thing to have blood, to bleed, but the blood of a dead person turns dark and black and coagulated and all of that, you know, is it, nasty. And the sea becomes like this, the, the blood of a dead man, and every, not some, every, Every living creature in the sea died. And the blood plague continues because in the third bowl, it says, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the, and the, and the springs of the water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the, of, of the waters saying, and he tells us why this blood plague is being brought upon the earth. Of course, they're under judgment, but there, God has a specific reason for it as we read. Here, where the angel said, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of, of saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Vengeance is mine, I will. I think sometimes we doubt it sometimes, but God says, I will repay says the Lord. This may be the blood of every saint that has ever died, every prophet of God that was sent to the world, probably suffering under this plague of blood. This is God saying, blood for blood. Vengeance of the Lord upon the face of the earth. Give them blood to drink. They like it so much. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, even so, in his horrific plague of blood, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. God is not doing anything here wrong or that the world does not deserve. When he judges, he will judge in righteousness and truth. You see, we live in an age today where people don't judge in righteousness and truth. They surely don't, do not judge in truth. John MacArthur wrote a book some time ago called The Truth War. Amen. Well, we've lost that war. Because people no longer deal with life according to truth. Hear me now. It's according to how they feel. Or a perception they have. Based on really nothing. No longer are we living in a world where people base their decisions and judgment on truth. I could speak truth here, even to Christians, even in the church. And people here will, will tighten up Christians because they've been believing the perception and lie of the world. When they hear the truth, they're offended. But we are to live according to the truth. The truth will make you free. I remember a time when I first started in ministry, you could pretty much reason with people. Amen. Through apologetics. 
through two and two equals four, through the study of science and the study of nature, you could prove that there is a God. But truth no longer matters. It's all about perception. I was reading where uh, Mike Lindell, you know who Mike Lindell is? He's the pillow guy. You know my pillow guy? Hey man, you've seen the commercial. Well, somebody was uh, in Minnesota called the police to go out and do a wellness check. Have you heard this story? Because there's a man standing in his yard holding a pillow. For a long time, just standing in his yard holding a pillow. And some concerned neighbor, I guess maybe after watching this man in the yard just holding a pillow was concerned, called the police to do a wellness check on their neighbor. Come to find out that it wasn't a neighbor at all. It was a cardboard cutout of Mike Lindell, the pillow guy. <laughs> True story. The neighbor thought it was some guy standing in his yard, you know, holding. I can only imagine that, that 911 call. Oh my God, my neighbor, he's been standing out in the yard, I think, for hours. And he's just standing there clutching a pillow. You need to send the police and do a wellness check on it. Come on, to find out there's a cardboard cutout. I thought, this is the world we live in. Perception is reality. All you had to do was walk across the street and go, oh, it's a cardboard cutout. But today we rather, oh, our perception is reality. This is someone who needs a wellness check, and we don't even know what we're talking about. The truth is that it's a cardboard cutout. And so many believers are believing in the cardboard cutout of the world rather than living by the truth of God's word. Amen. And we're reacting and responding to lies rather than the truth of God. But when God judges the world, their perception will not matter. He will judge them according to truth and righteousness. Amen. Well, Lord, that's not my perception. It doesn't matter. He's a God of truth. No one will be able to refute that truth. It's not what we think we see that matters. But truth is what really matters. Just a little sidebar, but when Jesus prophesied, when Christ would come to the earth in his first advent, before he came the first time, that when he does come, he will not walk and live by what he sees, but by the word of God. I thought, what a great example for us. Am I living by what I see? Yeah, a lot of times. And I have to repent. So God, forgive me. We're not to live by what we see, cardboard cutout, but by the truth of God's word. So the plagues continue. Here in verse 8, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. I mean, you talk about sunburn. This is sunburn, burn. Scorched by fire from the sun. And men were scorched with great heat. And here's their response. They blaspheme the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. And the fifth bowl, verse 10, then the fifth angel poured out his Bowl on the throne of the beast, that is the Antichrist, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. 
some type of infection or some kind of pain or that they will have as a plague of pain is the only thing I know here. And the people are gnawing. I mean, no drugs they're taking. Anything's going to relieve them of this pain. So they're just gnawing on their tongues. I mean, you know, just find some kind of relief from this pain, from this plague on the kingdom of the Antichrist. And what was their response in this pain? They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lesson here before we go into the sixth and seventh plague. And that is that isn't that the devil's agenda for the pain and the suffering you go through is to cause you rather than to humble yourself before God to curse God, to blaspheme God. Isn't that, isn't that what comes to mind when that, that unexpected uh, tragedy happens in your life? Isn't that what, you know, oh, where was God? Isn't that, have you heard that voice? Oh, I thought, you, oh, you know, oh, that's how the Lord repays you. And he wants you to curse God to his face because wasn't that his agenda with Job when, when, in, in, in scripture, in the book of Job, the devil came before God and said, oh, you know, look at it. And the Lord said, consider my servant Job. And every time I read that, I think, Lord, don't ever say consider my servant Al. <laughs> you know, let me just kind of be under the radar. <laughs> but he said, consider my servant Job. And the Lord's boasted in Job. And the devil says, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's all that in the bag of chips. But you take away that hedge from around him and his prosperity, he will curse you to your face. In fact, that's what his wife, Job's wife, asked him to do when he lost everything. Did she not? She said, why don't you just curse God and die? Isn't that what the devil wants you to do today? And some of you may be tempted with that very thing. He's saying, just curse God and die. Get it over with. I think that's what happens sometimes with people who can take their lives. Full of hopelessness. You see, when life's pressures come, we either become hardened or we grow soft. Those who've lived a long time got some gray stuff going on. You know what I'm saying? You know you have a choice by the time you get around 60 years old or so. You either grown hardened like a stone or you've softened to the hand of God. And you've learned to say, nevertheless, I will be done. Amen. Amen. Those are the two choices. And here we have the world in the great tribulation period toward the end, just be able to come in of Christ. Rather than bowing to God, they're cursing and blaspheming the name of God. Exactly what the devil wants you to do. Because in doing so, you condemn yourself. Amen. Just a lesson. Continue to praise him. As David said, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Amen. I might be down today, devil, but I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance. Amen. Praise his holy name. Give him glory and praise. We come to the sixth bowl, all the way to verse 12 to verse 16. It says, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And his water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. 
And then he tells us who these, what these frogs are. He said they are spirits of demons performing signs, signs, people deceived by the signs, which go out to the kings of the earth, that is the rulers of the earth, and, uh, and of the whole earth, rather, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And just before we get to verse 16, Jesus speaks. In the midst of all of this, and the culmination, the climax of this, you know, the battle that we're going to read about here. Jesus says, behold, I am coming. Amen. Hold on, I'm coming. It used to be an R&B R &B song like that for some of you old timers. Amen. Hold on, I'm coming. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together, they, these wicked, evil spirits, together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon or the valley of Megiddo. All right. Now, last week I said the valley of Jehoshaphat was, and I put it in the same context as the valley of Megiddo, it's not the same, there's two different valleys. Valley of Megiddo, and for those of you who are going to Israel with us in May, you'll see the Valley of Megiddo. It's there. It's the real place where this Valley of Armageddon will take place. Now, in this sixth bowl judgment, a lot of things going on here, and I want to kind of dive into this. I don't want to confuse you, but I, I want to make it clear, because uh, there's a couple of battles in the end times I think there's two. People, a lot of people think there's just one. I, I think there are two. I mean, kind of studying this for a while, I think it's, I think it's two. I could be wrong. I don't care. Jesus is coming back. Amen. So, I mean, but, but I think I have a scriptural basis for this, uh, this, uh, this thought. That there are actually two, two battles. One is in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The other is in Daniel chapter 11. Let me go through them one at a time. Ezekiel 38 and 39, there was a battle. Um, and verses 1 to 6 in particular sets it all up for this battle. It's actually an invasion that comes down from the north led by an individual by the name of Gog, G-O-G. He is Gog, which literally means, uh, I think, um, I don't think, uh, the Nelson Bible Dictionary says it means golden ornament, and it's just like the enemy to deceive people with gold, uh, that which all that, what the old saying, all that uh, glitters is not gold. And so the enemy comes, this, this, this individual by the name of Gog. He is the ruler of a place called Magog, uh, or Rosh, R-O-S-H, in the region of Meshach and Tabul. Tabul, Rosh, and Meshach, they're all in the same region. Where is this region the Bible talks about? There are these ancient people that it talks about. It is north of the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. What is north of the Black Sea and Caspian Sea? Russia. In fact, Rosh literally means chief, and Rosh is an early form of the word Russia. And so, Scripture is saying that it looks like it's Russia that is leading this charge. There's actually a five primary nations, probably other smaller nations, but primary nations that are going to be involved, according to Ezekiel 30, 38, verses 1, 1 to 6, in this invasion. 
the first is, of course, as I mentioned, Russia or Rosh or Magog, the land of Magog. That's one. The second is Turkey. Turkey. Some of the names mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 to 6, uh, uh, some of the peoples that are mentioned, ancient peoples, the people of Meshach and Tobul and Gomer and Togarma, they, are actually, uh, they were actually located in modern-day Turkey. And so it's Russia and it's Turkey that's coming down with Ethiopia, uh, which includes, uh, according to Scripture, the, the, Ethiopia was called Cush in Scripture, C. U-S-H, Cush, and Cush uh, was uh, included Ethiopia, Somalia, and Sudan. So Ethiopia, and then Lydia, uh, Libya is mentioned as well. And there are so five nations, basically five nations, and people debate, there are probably some others and all, that are coming down, and the Bible says they're coming down to plague or to plunder Israel, Ezekiel 38, verse 12, to plunder Israel. Why plunder? What's in Israel to plunder? Oh, a bunch of stuff. The wealth, the, the wealth of materials and minerals in Israel, natural gas. There's diamonds, of course, in Israel. There's all types of iron ore and all this type of stuff that they have. The minerals coming out of the Dead Sea. You know, there's, a, there's a vast amount of wealth and minerals and all, and, and even materials in the land of Israel. That these people are going to come down, these nations are coming down and say, we're going to get rid of Israel once and for all, and we're going to plunder the land. And so they're coming down to plunder Israel. But the Bible says that they will meet their demise on the mountains of Israel. That's what Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 21 and 22 says. So they're defeated on the mountains of Israel and uh, they are buried. I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but you know, go back and read Ezekiel 38 and 39. The enemies uh, of Israel, this invasion by Gog, uh, those who are defeated and who are slaughtered or, or defeated by God uh, will be buried east of the sea, the Bible says, in the valley of Abarim. Abarim. Uh, that is in modern day Jordan. What sea are they talking about? They're talking about the Dead Sea. East of the sea, in the valley of Abarim, which will be renamed after the defeat of Gog and his allies. The Valley of Haman Gog. Haman Gog literally means the Valley of the Multitude of Gog. And they're going to bury them in that valley. And the Bible says in the land of Israel, you go, wait a minute, you said it was Jordan. But when you read scripture, east of the Dead Sea belongs to Israel. And so even though the world says it's Jordan, God says it's Israel. And when Jesus returns, all of Israel will be restored, the land to Israel, from the Euphrates River up in Iraq all the way down to Egypt, the river of Egypt. Amen? That's because God's a God of promise. Amen? And you say, well, I don't know where, if that's in the Bible, if, you know, if that land belongs to Israel. Well, look at 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 2, where David conquered that land. 2 Samuel 8, verse 2. And then Psalm 60, verse 8 mentions that that portion belongs to Israel as well. In the aftermath of this battle, that's where the Bible says it will take seven months to bury the dead and seven years to burn the weapons of war. I believe now, that's what I, and, and, and we can find that in Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 9 and 12, talks about burying the dead and the burning the weapons of war. So that burning 
will go even into, right into the first couple of years or so of the new millennium, uh, the reign uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But that's that in context, in Ezekiel 38 39, talking about the, you know, the seven months to bury the dead and the seven years to burn the, 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 the uh, weapons of war, that has to do with the battle with Gog. Then you go to the, uh, Daniel chapter 11, and we find another battle. I think it's a, a t- totally a, another battle. And again, there are those who disagree, but the Lord's coming anyway. Amen. Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45. There's a, I believe there's a separate battle. And this is a battle. The first battle is going to occur probably toward the end of the first half of the seven-year tribulation period. And the second half of the seven-year tribulation period toward the end will be this other battle that the scripture talks about called Armageddon. Daniel chapter 11 talks about uh, the battle of, of Armageddon. Uh, the Antichrist, here in the battle, in, in Daniel chapter 11, the Antichrist is being attacked by the king of the south and the king of the north. Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 to 35, identifies who the king of the south and the king of the north is. It is Syria, traditionally in the Old Testament, it is Syria and it is Egypt. The Antichrist, who was in the land of Israel, in fact, the Bible says during the war, he will pitch his headquarters tent between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea, between the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem, the temple, or, 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 or Jerusalem itself. So someplace in between there, he will have his headquarters as he's doing battle against Syria and against, the, uh, against uh, Egypt. So, and, and remember, three and a half years of the tribulation period, he's at peace with Israel. So no wonder he, doesn't have, he, he has headquarters there in Israel. So there he is, sit there. But then the Syrians and Syria, or those people north in the region of Syria... It may not be Syria itself, but in that region, and the Egyptians are going to come against him. He will soundly defeat them. And then Daniel chapter 11 says, after he soundly defeat them, he defeats them. It says, but news from the east, Revelation 16, verse 12, will bother him. And the north shall trouble him. What is this news he's hearing from the east and from the north? Well, there's an invasion coming into Israel against him, the Antichrist, in Daniel chapter 11. They're coming across the Euphrates that is now dried up, Revelation 16, verse 12, with this army from the east. Who is this army from the east? I believe it's China. Not only China, but an ally, allied with probably Pakistan. Maybe even Iran, maybe Afghanistan, coming across uh, the Euphrates, Euphrates River to invade the land of Israel. It is that 200 million man army we saw back in Revelation chapter 9, verse 16. I thought it was interesting in the news, and it's amazing when you watch the news and you see, see the world stage being set, just like the scripture says, you know. I mean, what, what kind of relationship does China have with these other nations? Well, just recently, China and India, I didn't read the story, but I heard a little bit about, you know, had a little conflict in the, in the air, just shot down a plane or something. And they've been at, kind of at odds against each other. China, I mean, uh, um, um, excuse me, India and Pakistan, India and Pakistan have been at, at odds against each other for a long time. Pakistan asked China come, to come in and referee the whole situation. Did you know that? So they're kind of, Pakistan is kind of chumming up to China. 
China has worldwide, is gaining worldwide influence as well as gaining military strength in, in the world. You know, we definitely need to keep our eye on it. I'm not here trying to make a political statement. It's just a fact. And I remember when I was in uh, uh, Kenya some years ago and then in Liberia here a few years back. And Chinese influence everywhere, folks. They're building the infrastructure of these countries, these nations. Their money is being spread, around all, spread all around throughout Africa, not just Kenya and Liberia. Uh, Liberia. And then a few months ago, I think the, uh, the embattled dictator uh, down here in Venezuela, old Nicolas uh, uh, Maduro, uh, went to China for some financial relief. People are looking to China, folks. And so why, you know, how come, you know, there was never any world power in the Orient, in the Far East. Now there is, just like the Bible says. And the kings of the East were coming across to invade. And the Antichrist, you know, that's the Antichrist. No, it's not. They're coming to attack the Antichrist. According to Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45. And this is the battle that is starting to formulate and to become the battle of Armageddon. And so the army said, well, but it says there's an army from the north too. Many believe that the army from the north is a, a, a remnant of the defeated Russian army or their allies coming down from the north that have, you know, got their behind shellac <laughs> in, Reve- in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. They've been defeated. And so they kind of maybe getting together and said, we got revenge now. We're going to join together with China and we're going to come down and we're going to invade the land of Israel. Some of you may be asking, as I have wondered many, many times over the years, where's, the, where's America in all this? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But another thing, the Bible doesn't mention us. So I'm wondering, and I look at our political and climate today and some of the things we're going through today, maybe there is, you know, we've imploded politically. The political strife, there have been some kind of political implosion, you know. Or we've been neutralized by all of this money we're spending and programs and stuff that people want to be paid for that are impossible to pay for at the, the, the tune of, you know, uh, you know, $50 trillion or more or whatever. Maybe we've been neutralized. And when you spend that kind of money and, and we consume with ourselves, how can you fill an army? We're going to be neutralized. We won't be able to fill or fight a war. Already, there's been reports out I've read in the past where, you know, some of our, our generals in Pentagon is worried about fighting a war on two fronts. We fought a war on two fronts in World War II. Can we do that now? And many have said, no way. We probably won't be able to fight a, a war on one front by that time because of the political infighting and because of the debt of our nation. And so China and Russia and the rest of them say, oh, don't worry about the United States. They've been neutralized. Or maybe we're the Babylon we're going to read about. Here in just a moment. Just, just a thought. Amen. But the reality is that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to a world in total chaos. On the verge of annihilating itself. Yeah, they're mad at God, but here they're trying to kill each other. And Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 24. He says, for, when, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Armies will be deployed. The epicenter of the battle will occur and happen in the valley of Megiddo at Armageddon. 
And the world will be on the verge of annihilating itself. And yet Jesus will come back, step down in the midst of mankind's chaos. And I thought, you know what? That's just like the Lord. When he came the first time, there was chaos. He came to Bethlehem. There was chaos. It wasn't a silent night, holy night. It was a holy night, but it wasn't silent. And he stepped into chaos. It was born in chaos. And then he will come back the second time in the midst of chaos. Aren't you glad God is not intimidated by your chaos? That Jesus Christ will step right in the midst of your mess. Amen. And bring hope and life where there's been hopelessness and death. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 17, we come to the seventh bowl. It gets worse. Actually, we're getting down to the end. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl, excuse me, into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Sound familiar? It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. What God starts, he finishes. It is done. What's done? The outpouring of God's wrath. And there were noises and thunders and lightnings. All of that speak of judgment. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, Ezekiel speaks about this earthquake. He speaks about this earthquake in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 19 and 20. But when Jesus comes back, as I mentioned, this war at Armageddon is getting ready to take place in the Valley of Megiddo. And Jesus comes back. He steps down on the Mount of Olives. And guess what? There's an earthquake. And the mountain, the Mount of Olives, on the east side of Jerusalem, will split in two, the Bible says, to the north and south. People in Jerusalem will be able to escape through the mountain because of this great war that's getting ready to take place. And Jesus will come back to earth. So maybe the earthquake that we're reading about is as a result of Christ stepping down on the Mount of Olives, his return. Because, as the angel said, it is done. It is done. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, talks about Christ coming back, stepping down on the Mount of Olives. It is done. The completion of God's wrath. Daniel eleven thirty six says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. That is the king, the Antichrist, not Jesus Christ. Antichrist will do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Wow. God's saying this is going to happen. God has determined this. This is going to come about. It is done. What God determines over our life is what really matters. What God has determined for you and for me, (laughs) the devil can do nothing about. He's going to accomplish his good pleasure, his good will in your life. We were created for his good pleasure. And when you're finished, God's going to say, it is done. Come on home. It's done. The enemy can do nothing about the working of the of our father we don't need to be intimidated by what the devil's doing in the world god's will is going to be accomplished romans three thirty one. of course paul reminds us what should we say to these things if god is for you who can be against you amen and in the midst of this turmoil in the world god 
his perfect sovereign will is being accomplished. And we move on through these plagues here. We get down to, uh, of course, it is done, the scripture says, and the earthquake occurs and all of that. And then in verse 19, it says, now the great city, what's the great city? Was divided into three parts. The great city, many believe he's speaking about Jerusalem, but I think he's more likely speaking about Babylon, but the great city. Uh, And the cities of the nations fell. So possibly Jerusalem, but I, I think, you know, that's what some commentators say. I think it's, I think it's, it's speaking of Babylon here, that great city. <coughs> but the, many of the cities, because it is a great earthquake, will fall. Paris will fall. You know, Berlin will fall. You know, New York, L.A. Cities will crumble all around the world because it's tremendous, horrendous uh, earthquake that will take place over the whole face of the earth. And it says here, and great Babylon was remembered before God. God says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pay you. It's payback time to give her the cup of the wrath of the fierceness of his wrath, the cup of wine, rather, of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains uh, were not found. Imagine that waking up and looking out and Pike's Peak is gone. Cheyenne Mountain is no more. I mean, it's just stuff is like, you look at, come on, <laughs> whoa. God is not a man that he should lie. He's just giving you a little preview of coming attractions. These things are going to happen. And they will fall. And he says, and great hell from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. <laughs> and I was looking up, what does is, what is a talent weigh, you know? Uh, and this, uh, there's going to be this great geological earthquake and uh, uh, islands disappearing. I hope Maui is saved, but anyway. But uh, <laughs> islands are disappearing. Uh, mountains are crumbling. I mean, cities are vanishing. All these things are happening uh, according to the will of God. And this great, these, uh, great, this great hailstone, uh, the size of a talent, a talent. Looking it up, maybe it varies. It depends on what commentary you look at it. But it's... I, I, basically between 33 uh, kilograms and 50 kilograms, that's 75 pounds or 110 pounds, hailstones falling down from the sky. So you think the hailstorm last summer was bad in Colorado Springs? This hailstorm and, and, you know, will come down, crushing people's houses, everything that mankind has built and worked for, their cars, and crushing people. And rather than turn to God and say, God, have mercy on us, all these things have never happened before. Rather than turn to God, look at the response. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Like I said, you either get hardened or you become humble in the Lord. And the world remains hard. Like a lot of people today, they just remain hard. And you would think, oh, that tragedy, that, that, that illness, they almost died. They were in ICU. Oh, they're going to turn to God. Get out. Still the same fool they were when he went in. And that's because of the hardness of their heart. Hardness of their heart. You see, our hardness, our humility before God has a lot to do with the voice of God, how we respond to the voice of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. 
Our response to God's voice, the world's response to God's voice is rebellion, is to harden their hearts against the voice of God. We see it in our legislature uh, here in Denver. We see it with laws being passed. It's just evidence of the hardness of our heart. And man is growing more and more hard toward God, choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth. Here's a takeaway today, the conclusion of the matter. I think it's focusing in on verse 15, where Jesus says, you know, in the midst of all of this, and, and we can apply this to our own lives, in the midst of everything we're going through ourselves, Jesus says this, I know it's bad right now, but I'm coming. Behold, I'm coming. With heaven before us, the best is always yet to come, as I've always said. He said, blessed is the person who keeps their garment. Blessed literally means well off. You're well off. You want to do something for your family? You say you love that woman that you want to marry? You say you love that man you want to marry? You say you you love your wife or you love your husband? You love your kids? Do Do them a favor. Be a blessing to them. Amen? Keep your garments clean. Blessed is that man. When he talks about keeping your garments clean, he's talking about soundness of heart. Have a right heart before God. And say your actions are always going to be perfect, but have a right heart before God. Be a blessing because you are blessed by God. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Amen. Envy. Now the focus there in that proverb is is not so much envy as it is a sound heart. A friend of mine uh, told me, he's a Hebrew scholar because, you know, Old Testament's written in Hebrew. But he said that literally means a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Literally saying, listen, the health of all the body parts is a heart of trust and reliance on the Lord. If you want to get in shape, the best thing you can do in your fitness program is be right with God. It starts there. Keeping the word of God brings health to your bones, health to your bones. You know, we talk about lifetime fitness. This is lifetime fitness. This is eternal lifetime fitness. And that is total reliance upon the Lord. Health, the health of all body parts is a heart of trust and reliance on the Lord. And, you know, of course, health begins right here. You can have biceps and six-pack abs and everything else. But if this thing goes, that old ticker, that old heart, amen. And a lot of the worry and the depravity men carry right here. A right relationship with God, reliance upon him is health to your whole body. (laughs) But envy is rottenness to the bones. Envy is rottenness. Rottenness. What is that? Well, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, rather than rottenness there, the Septuagint uh, translates uh, the Hebrew word for rottenness this way. It says, envy is a moth to your bones. And I thought it's interesting, a moth, and Jesus says, keep your garments. Because what do moths do? They eat clothes, don't they? What a sin then? Not just envy, any sin. It eats away. The enemy, Jesus told Peter, he desires to sift you. That's a little at a time. What does a moth do to your clothes? A little at a time. Then you got a hole over here. How did that get there? That old moth got in there, right? That's the way sin is. It's rottenness to your bones. 
It's just a little nibble here. It doesn't happen at once. If we saw the devil come on, we'd be, ah, we'd go back in our karate stance, you know, whatever. By that, you know, I don't know anything about karate. But uh, we'd be ready, ready for the devil. But he didn't come like that. It's just a little bit, a little nibble. And what happens over time if we don't repent, we don't do something about it? It eats away your garment and you're naked, you're exposed. You become vulnerable to the elements, the spirit of this age, the wickedness of this world. So Jesus says, heed his words. I'm coming. Keep your garments lest you be naked and leave it with a testimony of shame. But communion reminds us that he died for our shame. Amen. Oh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He was publicly shamed for you and for me, and he died for us so that we can be covered with the righteousness of God. That is not of us, but is by faith in Jesus Christ. Joel chapter 2, verse 26 says this, and we'll go into our time of communion. Job reminds us, the Lord God says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Has he been good to you? And my people shall never be put to shame. What a glorious hope we have in light of all the things that will come upon this earth. Great shame for the world, but great salvation for those who are in Jesus Christ. With those strong words about the finality of divine wrath, that'll be a wrap on this episode of our study of Revelation chapter 15 with Pastor Al Pittman. You've been listening to the weekly podcast from the pulpit of Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, where Al Pittman serves as senior pastor. In this message, we've continued our survey of the book of Revelation. Plan to join us each week as we move through this fascinating Bible territory. And would you let a friend know about this podcast? We hope you'll subscribe and keep current with our weekly teachings from the church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And next time, we move on to Revelation chapter 16. You don't want to miss what Pastor Al has to say. Thanks for joining us. This podcast has been presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.